Cloiso and welcome to Leeway Productions podcast, 10 Minute Musicals. Podcast exploring artistic collaboration and Welsh musical theatre's ever-growing landscape. You might say we're well, Wales's answer to Elaine Page on Sunday. <laughs> might you? <laughs> Probably not, but I just thought it would, be, it would be a funny thing to say. I am your host, Luke Hereford. <laughs> I am your other host, not Elaine Page, but Elaine <laughs> Uh, and today we are interviewing Andy Shaw and Andrew Linham, who wrote the 10-minute musical Bank of Mum and Dad. So Bank of Mum and Dad premiered at the Queen's Theatre in Hornchurch in autumn 2018. And the genesis of this 10-minute musicals is slightly different to the usual 10-minute musicals project. So this came about when Tom Hurley, who used to be a producer at Queen's in Hornchurch, contacted me wanting the project. And of course, um, as a company, we jumped at the chance. Um, But in keeping with the values of the company, what I really wanted to do was to engage with some local artists. So we collaborated and a call out went. Um, to the local press and to, I'm not quite sure where the call out went uh, at at Queen's, Um, but um, into our laps fell Andy Shaw and Andrew Linham. Um, And the rest, as they say, is history. Um, And Peter Cox actually worked with um, Andrew and Andy, uh, Peter, who we heard in the last episode. Yeah. Um, So I think it'll be quite nice to discuss how that relationship worked and came about. Um, And me take a step back, really, because I wasn't as actively involved in this uh, little collaboration, which was lovely. Yeah, I actually um, sort of took the, the Cardiff group up to well, not Cardiff, the Wales group, up to Hornchurch um, on the day. And it was, it was a really great day because, aside from the fact it was a lovely opportunity to showcase some Welsh talent outside of Wales, uh, we just had a massive crowd. There were loads of people there. Um, so, yeah, it was just really lovely. And that is, of course, the first time that I met Andrew and Andy. So without further ado, how are you guys doing today? Andrew Linham and Andy Shaw, how are we? Yeah, we're good. <laughs> Great. And where are you joining us from? So I'm in sunny Upminster, which is about 15 minutes down the road from Hornchurch in Havering, London borough of Havering. Yeah. Lovely. And what about you, Andy? I am in my conservatory, <laughs> which is uh, which is in uh, Greys, um, uh, just off of the A13. So again, not a very long, you know, short shot from uh, from my house to Queens in. Uh, in Hornchurch. This is probably the most spread out call we've done so far, isn't it? <laughs> it is. We've had lots of bedroom calls though, haven't we? So it's a conservatory is a new one for us. Yeah, quite nice acoustically. Um, so let's just start talking a little bit about your individual backgrounds, um, because I only met you guys that one time in Hornchurch, which seems like a lifetime ago now. Um, so what do you each do as artists? Uh, should we start with Andrew and then we'll move on to Andy? So I started um, when I went to Leeds College of Music as an undergraduate and did a degree in jazz saxophone performance. And then I went to the Guildhall School of Music and Drama and did a master's degree in jazz saxophone performance. I know, it's very fancy sounding, isn't it? But (laughs) it just means I like to play bebop all day. Um, Yeah, so um, I did my studying and then since then in the kind of past 10 years or so, I've worked on the community theatre, I have written my own full-length musicals that have been performed by youth theatre. 
I've done a big band album um, called Weapons of Mass Distraction, um, which was received uh, globally across the world. Um, and I've worked for the Royal Ballet and for the opera and, the, um, and all sorts of places. And for the past 10 years or so, I've been collaborating in various guises with the Queen's Theatre Hornchurch, which is how I ended up being involved with this particular project. So I think that's more than enough about me, isn't it? <laughs> no, of course, it's great. Very thorough and a nice broad spectrum of kind of what you do and who you are. Andy Shaw, what about yourself? Well, um, uh, I'm not very musical. <laughs> um, <laughs> certainly not on the level of, of Andrew, um, who is a, a very, very talented musician and writer and uh, was brilliant because I've really only focused on on writing for the stage. I've had some short pieces performed here and there. Um, I did a semi-biographical thing with a friend of mine recently about uh, her experiences as a nurse in the NHS for many decades. Uh, and it was great, but I've never tackled writing before uh, for a musical. Um, so it was really interesting to, to get the opportunity to work on something totally fresh and new. Wow, to, to th I, I had no idea of that, that this was your first musical, um, in my innocence, because I hadn't worked with you, you know, so to, so to think that this was your first musical, you've done an incredible job there, and this is what this whole, this whole um, kind of collaboration is about, and why 10-minute musicals exist, so this is great to hear, yeah. So with it being a brand new partnership between the two of you, um, how did you just, how did you start off working together? Just talk us through the very first things that you guys did as a new partnership. I think I invited you around my house, didn't I, Andy? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and we, we, uh, we had a meet up and uh, a, a cup of tea and a good chat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I suppose we, we kind of started with, if we could write a 10 minute musical about anything, what mm. would we write it about? Because that's, if you can find something that you're passionate to write about, whatever it is you're writing, no matter, regardless of style or idiom, whether it's like a jazz tune or a ballet, like if you're passionate about telling that story through that medium, um, then it's the right story to tell. So we probably spent a couple of hours just hashing ideas around of what we wanted to write about, really. Yeah, definitely. We, 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 we threw a lot of things at each other, um, kind of testing the water a little bit and then yeah we found uh, we found a subject matter that we both really enjoyed and we both felt had a real strong um, core that we could use in a musical rather than just um, trying to find anything to write a musical about it, it was really good to to kind of connect up on a few different things and, and find something we could both really get into so this collaboration looked very different to what we usually do in 10-minute musicals because usually we bring five composers, five writers into a lab kind of environment. But with this, um, you did a lot of work with Peter Cox. I think you had a few meetups with Peter, but a lot of the work was done online from what I remember. So can, can you kind of talk us through that and the challenges and, and if that worked? You know, we, we're stuck here in lockdown now, kind of ahead of the curve a little, <laughs> a little bit. So I'm just interested in for the future if that if that kind of collaboration worked i mean it certainly worked uh, we we met peter via i think it was skype um and it's very much like how we now all zoom all the time in in lockdown um and he gave us some like tasks to do to get us kind of thinking about how we might um find a story to tell um because of his kind of background in in 
kind of uh, television. And it was really interesting because he comes at story from a very different approach to the way that I would come at it. Because I tend to step back and look at a story as a whole arc of going, well, if my story is a, a quintessential hero's journey, I then, in a musical, know that this has to happen here and this has to happen there and you want an opening number and then middle of act two, there's an emotional moment that drives the end of the show. And structuring out that and then shrinking that down to a 10 minute chunk. <laughs> um, because then it's about going, well, what story is worth telling within 10 minutes that still has that center, sense of arc and journey um, that delivers the sense of a musical within a, a finite amount of time. Um, whereas Anne, uh, Peter's approach was far more, well, just think about the kind of stories that you want to write and explore the characters and the kind of the backstory in the wider world. And I suppose I, as a artist slash storyteller or whatever, think about the journey more than the surroundings. So a lot of his tasks are really good, certainly from my perspective, of unpacking the wider world of um, the characters individually rather than the, the narrative overall, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And Andy, I'm just uh, curious if this was your first musical, you know, what, I don't want to say what new skill set did you gain? That's, you know, but you know, what's, what, what is the learning, I guess, that you took, took away from it? Um, there was a lot, but I, I, again, um, with, uh, with Peter, what was really interesting was um, he picked up a technique that I'd been shown and tried before, but I'd never really committed to, which was this kind of just completely non-linear approach to the story. Don't fear, no, we'll, we'll do this bit now today. Um, it, it, we know it's not the beginning of the story and you haven't written the beginning yet, but this is a really important hook that you've, you've dug into. And I think that was really useful because like Andrew said there about this kind of um, uh, exploring the characters. Uh, and I found out great, especially when you're working in short form, is to be able to say, right, well, let's have nice, clear characters and give the audience uh, a, a good understanding of them. And then it was great to, to really put that into practice. Right, okay, so this, this little section here, and then marrying up the kind of um, the non-narrative sections. And then, the, again, another new thing is working out where where the songs go where 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 the where the story beat is right to introduce a lyric and then um uh the 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 kind of working out where to go from scene to song where the joins should be and how to especially in this compact format how you can make that feel natural and flowing without it feeling to we've stopped what we're doing now to sing something and that was a really yeah that was a new experience in plotting and dialogue to have it was fantastic i loved it <laughs> yeah trying to make those moments of songs feel organic and mm. feel right for the drama within the scene which is like you said when you put that into the compact form is an, is a whole other challenge isn't it so that's really interesting to hear your experience of that um and have you guys continued to develop your writing skills since 10 minute musicals uh i guess either together or separately do you work together now as a partnership or are you just working on your own things? Um, I've been writing a second musical for the Queen's Youth Theatre, um, following on from the uh, production we did with the National Theatre at the Queen's called As You Like It, which was part of a big community project which had like 200 odd participants in it. 
Um, we're looking at trying to do a similar kind of thing for the use of Havering. And we're working on an adaption of Never Never, which is a version of Peter Pan, which hopefully, I mean, it would have been happening in about two weeks time, but uh, hopefully that will happen next year with 250 young people in it from Havering. And that's with all of my uh, team at the Queen's Theatre's Learning and Participation Department. So that's what I've been working on since the 10 minute musicals. What about yourself, Andy? Um, yes, I, um, this is weird. It's not really a musical. Although I have, as a direct result of the 10 minute musicals, separately pursued learning about musical structure and, uh, and the skill set and trying to build the little bits I picked up and learned through the process of 10 minute. Um, I've actively tried to do that. I've done a few things to, um, to kind of uh, learn new technique and learn a bit more about the, um, the particulars of musical theatre. But I've actually, I'm working on something at the moment, which it, I, I'm trying to include like a, um, uh, like a, a bardic element. I, I was trying to work out how to, to tell a bigger story in a smaller space, uh, not quite 10 minutes, um, in, in about an hour or so. Um, and I was thinking, well, how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I hit some of these, these points without it being too, um, too talky and, and I wanted to kind of keep it moving and I thought well why don't I just introduce you know uh, a, 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 a bard character that can intro things and and then it and that's another thing I think that the, the 10 minute musical pushed me for was to think beyond more traditional playwriting format it, it, it's really pushed me to think what can you do in a stage beyond just have actors say lines and walk off that's really great that it's kind of yeah. pushing your ideas of how to approach storytelling beyond musical theatre. So it's kind of just just allowing you to open up and think about how you tell your own stories. Really good I to think hear. This, this is a good time, I think, you know, talking about artistic influences. I think this is a good time to introduce um, somebody else uh, into the chat this evening. We have got Thank the you. lovely. I've, I have to say lovely because I can <laughs> <laughs> we have the lovely Joe Hood, who has been, who is a musical director, and he's been working on all our ten-minute musicals, all our condensed ten-minute musicals over the past few weeks. So, hello, Joe. Welcome. Hello, and you don't have to say lovely. <laughs> I did say it. He absolutely does. Oh, <laughs> it's even more now. <laughs> how, how are you doing, Joe? Are you okay? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, I've had a, had a lovely day in the garden, doing some laundry. You know, standard lockdown sort of <laughs> behaviour. <laughs> Um, do you want to explain a little bit about your involvement in this little segment of, of our kind of journey of the 10 minute musicals? Absolutely. Uh, so, so I've come on board as a musical director, uh, arranger, and um, due to how we've had to record this, also a, a producer as well um, from my home studio. Um, so for me, it was about taking these pieces and uh, seeing what I could add, seeing how I could further them. Uh, in the case of this one, actually, it was, it was already quite refined. Um, it was a fantastic piano vocal arrangement that Andrew had written. So, uh, so it was really about having a look and uh, thinking if there was anything that I could improve on. Uh, there were a couple of bits where I thought, oh, that rhythm could, could maybe be this and it'll work better with the lyrics. So we discussed those things. And, uh, uh, and then it was about arranging it for a slightly bigger orchestration. So we had a yeah, piano, bass and drums instead of, instead of just the piano. 
And so, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that really helped sort of bring it to life. Yeah. And how does that relationship work between composer and arranger? Where, you know, where, where's the, where is the line drawn? And that we, you know, that we identify exactly what your roles are in the process. Uh, yeah, good question. I think it's different for every, every pair or every, every team. Um, in this case, uh, there wasn't a lot of contact time because we were, we were just Zooming occasionally. I think we had maybe three conversations. Um, but it was, it was all pretty straightforward, really. Uh, Andrew and I you know, discussed the, the palette early on. We said, you know, I, asked, I asked him what I thought he'd write it for if we were expanding the orchestration. And, um, and I stuck to that. Uh, it, it felt right, I think, to keep it, keep it quite a, a small a small size band for this. So it's that sort of jazzy Cockney knees up feel. Uh, it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be a bigger orchestration. Um, and yeah, it was about me just coming up with some ideas and, and presenting them to Andrew, the composer and, and hearing what he had to say. And some of them he took on board and some of them not. And that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm always fascinated with the relationship between, between these two artistic practices, you know, because some, one person is going to hear something, obviously. So, you know, but at the end of the day, the composer will is the king or the queen of, the, of that decision. So how do you find that relationship, Andrew, with your arrangers? I think it's usually about trust and empathy, really, that you trust them to do their job to the highest possible uh, spec and for them to em- empathetically understand what uh, emotion you're trying to convey through the music in the storytelling. And generally, as long as a arranger understands the story and the context of an individual piece, um, and you as a composer have articulated your vision in a, in a real and kind of transparent way, then they should be able to, to take whatever your idea is, whether it's our score, which I've actually written out properly, which is not something I normally do, but I thought... It I'd really like helps, that. though. Yeah, that gives a kind of more of a clear indication if it's written out. If it had been something more, more wishy-washy, then it would have relied on my ability as a composer to articulate exactly what I wanted from the accompaniment. Um, but I think Joe did a great job. I, I always wanted it with uh, bass and drums. And there had been a debate back when we first performed it of me getting a friend of mine, uh, or two friends of mine, a bass, uh, bassist and a drummer, just in to just play along with it on the day just for the sheer, the sheer joy of it. But we, we didn't go through with that. So it's nice to hear it with the kind of full rhythm section now. I think you pointed out something really important there for us as a as a team developing this in in that you know a lot of these composers or musicians they don't actually write music so a lot of these 10 minute musicals exist just on video um they're not written down in any form and this is where somebody like joe his expertise comes into it you know and this is something we're going to be developing as we as we move forward so i'm just just like briefly, Joe, you know, how how can your skill set be helpful in those in those um, circumstances, so that composers know that they can come to this project without having to be able to write things down? Yeah, um, I mean, we've had uh, had that sort of experience on some of the other projects, haven't we? Where uh, where it wasn't written down, and the composer didn't necessarily write music, uh, so. So in that case, it's great to just have a really clear recording uh, of it from which I can work and I can transcribe it, write it all out. Um, 
and then usually I'll record that accompaniment. Um, and in this case, we were working with students, so we had their vocal to record as well. And then we can present that back to the composers and lyricists and, uh, and check that they're happy with that sort of back and forth and, and uh, the result of that process. They're happy yeah. that it, you know, it accurately um, it is an accurate version of their work. Yeah. So, you know, don't be put off. If you can't write music, you can still write the musical. You know, absolutely. So. absolutely. Yeah. There are some Broadway and West End composers who don't write, write their own music and get it transcribed. So it's absolutely not, doesn't make you not a composer, does it? I think that's no, a, absolutely. An important there, thing there's a lot, of, a lot of people around who can help in that way. Yeah. Um, the best example is, of course, Oliver, which was sung by uh, whoever it was that wrote that. I can't remember what's his name. But he Lyle basically Bart? sang it. Lyle yeah, like Bart just sang it at someone and they worked it all out for him. That's and right, yeah. That's best musicals ever. Arguably. William Finn is the same. I think Le Manuel Miranda is the same to a point as well. And he's, you know, on top of the world right now. So unstoppable. Um, I think this might be a good point to move on to the next phase of our episode. What do you think, Ang Harrod? I think so. Is this, am I supposed to be introducing this section? You I absolutely think are, as it says. That's <laughs> not <laughs> the script. <laughs> so yeah, um, so Andy and Andrew haven't seen um, the finished version of uh, the three three or four minute segment uh, we did with the, with the students. So I think we can, um, we'll have a look at this now, shall we? And see, see, see what your reaction is. We hope you like it. Andrew and Andrew, are you ready? Don't tell us if you don't like it. Fingers crossed. <laughs> no more giving and taking, no more heartbreaking. No more babysitting, that's the job I'm quitting. No more cash burning. The tables are turning. We not the banker, mum and dad, giving out money left, right and centre. We not the banker, mum and dad, paying your debts and fixing your loans. We not the banker, mum and dad, is key that you've got to remember. We not the banker, mum and dad, like some glorious cash dispenser. Us parents must take back control of our lives. Us parents bingo scary. Us parents must declare that our lives are ours. No payments, loans, mortgage rates, lending, sending dates, not lending. If we never spent our money on you, la 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 la. There's so much shit we could go and do. With a bit more time and a bit more freedom, we can make the most of our final season. Yeah, 
Yay! <laughs> <laughs> That's a great yeah. first response, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it just makes you smile, doesn't it? It just makes you smile. <laughs> That's what musical theatre for me is always about. Stuff that makes you smile. None of this, like, serious, angsty, lame is rubbish. <laughs> something makes me smile. I, um, I think the, the direction of that was particularly good. Who was responsible for that? Oh, yeah. I thought it might have been somebody on this call. <laughs> it's great. You know what? They did so well, though. They were trying to marry up. Obviously, they're in... Yeah. The, the beds, they were trying to marry that all up. And Corey, who is with us now, somewhere on the call, she, she is, yeah. really hard with them, you know, to try and look at the design element. So, yeah. It, 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 looked, it was fab. It was really fun. Really I'd fun. never noticed that picture before. That was great. <laughs> a <little> matched up <laughs> picture in both shots. Andy, how is that for you, watching it back? Oh, it was brilliant. I really like that. Um, yeah, the, 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 working within the confines of self-taping in a lockdown uh, and getting people to sing together and perform together um, and and carry the like Andrew said the energy the kind of the, the up, even you know it's a really upbeat song that was belted out beautifully and it had some it was fantastic energy I loved it it was brilliant is that the first time you guys have seen it since it was first performed in 2018 yeah. Yes. Yeah, it has. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. How does it um, compare seeing two new, entirely new performers working on it? That's a very good question. I think when we performed it back in uh, 2018, um, it felt very different for me because I was playing piano, so I didn't get that kind of secondary experience because I was effectively <laughs> giving it a go myself. Lovely. Um, to be able to like step back from anything that you're you're working on is always an absolute joy because even when you like watch old show DVDs back, you get to be an audience member where usually as a composer you end up playing whatever you've written. So it's so nice to be able to take a step back from it and enjoy it as an audience member and enjoy it whether or not it achieves what you wanted it to achieve. This is definitely one of the pieces, you know, that you absolutely can see as a um, kind of a 60 minute piece. I can see this ad as, you know, I watch it and I just think of my parents immediately. <laughs> and also from a directorial perspective, you know, I kind of go, oh, this is a great opportunity to give um, um, musical theatre performers in their 50s, possibly 60s, a really juicy piece of musical theatre to get their teeth into, you know? So it's definitely one I'd love to see develop this. With that idea of development, this kind of segues us nicely into um, introducing our final guest. Got many guests today, um, but theatre designer Corey Shipp, who has been working on these abridged versions of the 10 minute musicals with Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama, uh, has been creating some initial design responses for each of these musicals. Uh, so we're going to just take a look at the ones for Bank of Mum and Dad. Corey Ship, how are you? Hello, I'm pretty good today. How are you all doing? Fine? Yeah, good, good. Uh, you're in Blackwood still or near Blackwood? 
Still in Blackbird, yeah, it's still here. Still looking at Green Valleys, which is nice. Oh, lovely. This is definitely our most far-reaching call so far because we've got two people from England on the call today. Oh. No. <laughs> and then three people from Wales. So you guys are outnumbered, to, um, unfortunately, both the Andes. <laughs> Corey, shall we dive straight in and talk about Bank of Mum and Dad? Lovely. So, I mean, what was what was really good fun about this one was how sort of how easily it transferred itself to different locations. Because obviously we could put it in a theatre, which seems like the obvious place to start off. Um, and that sits in really nicely with some sort of domestic setting. We obviously were quite well able to put it into a video rendition as well, which we've just seen. Um, and also what I really got quite fascinated with was the idea of putting it outside on the streets. Because... Like, very much like Anne Harrod said, you've got people who are instantly going to resonate with this. You've got parents who are going to know either what that feels like or are worrying about what that's going to feel like in the future, which I think is really lovely because we don't get that demographic very often and we don't get those stories very often. So that was really interesting for me to imagine what that, what that looked like when we put it onto a street. As a designer, you sort of, your first port of call is always the most obvious solution. And obviously that's a domestic interior and to look at you know, houses, living rooms, as we've seen, the students are really keen on looking at bedrooms and, that, and splitting that. But I got lost really quickly in this world of family portraits. And um, certainly in my family, it's a thing to have sort of the set family photographs on the staircase and this like, beautiful presentation of, oh, aren't we all you know, really cheery all the time, yes. really wonderful, little family unit. And really that's, I don't think that's you know, not at least 100% true or 100% of the time. And I started wondering what happens if, sort of in a very comical way, you get these, these children, or, or like what we assume to be older, you know, older children, just hopping out of the family portrait and going, <laughs> I've had a bit of enough of this, I'm done. Yes. And what then happens with the parents left behind in this photo, being like, oh look, there's a space, and oh God, everyone's going to think I've failed because we're not in this portrait together anymore. And I thought that was really interesting. And obviously right. it takes itself to street theatre really quickly and that we're able to create this big family portrait that they just kind of go, nope, and step out from, which I think is really quite funny. So I totally oh, got wow. that as an avenue. A, because it suits that comical sort of feel and that bouncy quirkiness which you've beautifully created. But I just think it's a really interesting thing to play on of this, you know, are we still a family because we don't live in the same house? And what, you know, what happens when those children move on to make their own family portraits? And how does that change? So I got totally lost in the world of picture frames, which I thought was mental, but actually I'm quite enjoying it. <laughs> I this totally is... love that. That's brilliant. My, my own family, there's a, there's a big age gap, gap between my sister and I. And my parents had a little bit more money when my sister was born. And so all the really nice family portraits <laughs> where they're on cruises and I didn't go on the cruise, I'm not in any of them. Oh, <laughs> so all the picture perfect ones I'm, I'm just gonna go around and draw myself in listeners uh if you've got some spare change in lockdown please donate to ang Lee's cruise fund i'll be showing the link at the end <laughs> um something that you mentioned corey in the very first episode um that makes this quite not tricky but um a different challenge for you as a designer is that Normally, when you start designing for a project, you have a theatre, you have a space that you're working from. Yes. And obviously in these environments, you're conceptually designing, but with no space in mind. Um, so I, what I love about all of these responses is how you kind of always test where they could be. So I guess this is kind of a question for both Andrew and Andy. What, do you have any ideas of, 
of different ways you could imagine it being staged or different spaces you could see it taking up? I always, uh, well, for a while when we were writing it with our initial ideas, because um, the obvious place is to have it in the home, in the kitchen, with the kind of hubbub around that. I did quite like the idea that they were on their way on a night out, just sat on the district line train, because the district line train from Upminster takes like yeah. an hour and about 20 minutes to get into London. And you could imagine them sat on the overground, getting phone call after phone call, <laughs> and then just slamming the phone down and singing, we're not the bank of mum and dad. So you could do like an immersive, actually on the district line piece of theatre. Sounds, <laughs> sounds great. Right. I wonder if TfL will let you do that. Uh, what about <laughs> you, Andy? Uh, yeah, I, I, yes, that's the, the train one was one. I also like the idea of um, like a kind of a slightly twisted doll's house. Ah. Um, if we're going big. Um, uh, so as they are, uh, so the kind of the, the set opens to show the house across two floors. Um, uh, I was thinking about how um, you could use that for physical separation as well as, so uh, again, thinking beyond the 10 minute and trying to think about the characters and where they might end up, thinking about how um, they could be physically and emotionally and narratively all separate. Uh, and then again, the empty nest, uh, showing the size of the house as it were. Um, but the, the, the frame idea, um, I love the frame idea, and uh, I know lots of people with children, um, and uh, like young youngish children, and some older uh, cousins, etc. Uh, and their households are, again, as you've said, there just full of these these family portraits. And the idea of that um, kind of studio portrait coming to life, I yeah, love that like idea. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, obviously, amazing. it's so different, like location dependent. Because I mean, what you're saying about a doll's house is absolutely mm. the full putting it in a proper and a full scale production. And then what you've got is this beautiful ability to sort of flesh those characters out as opposed to the rooms and the bedrooms that they occupy. Mm. And you've got this funny thing. I remember a friend of mine when she moved out, and this is going to sound like it happened to me and it absolutely didn't, but a friend of mine when she moved out came home for the weekend and her parents had just stripped the bedroom out. Like when she, mm. And she literally moved out like two or three weeks and oh, was like, oh yeah, well I need another room. And, you, and it's something of like, is this, is this something in that of, of seeing them chip away at the room every time they get a phone call as like a little bit of a revenge? Like, <laughs> God, oh, yes. You know, like, is that you've yes. got so much more room to play all of a sudden when you've got a really big space. Which is always uh, yeah, I'm seeing, yeah, Dreaming Big, the wallpaper's torn off to reveal a whole new room. Uh, they rip the wallpaper yeah. off the walls, Amazing. and then and then a whole wall gets knocked through for the gym. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's 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 something, isn't it? Is that in Friends? They turn Monica's old room into a gym, don't they? Oh, probably, yeah. Like literally a week <laughs> after she moves out. Oh. <laughs> got, um, clever set design stuff in the Beetlejuice show over on Broadway. Mm. Down that on, oh, I so wish I'd seen with the changing of the scenery within the same set. And that could be done quite well with this. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for these um, lovely, lovely responses again, Corey. They, they just seem to get better every time, don't they? Right. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Corey. If you are joining us through a non-visual medium today, but want to see these design responses for yourself, you can view them in this episode on YouTube. So, Andy and Andrew, before we wrap up today's episode, we just wondering what... Uh, is in store for you. I know we're in lockdown at the moment, but what have you got uh, coming up in the pipeline? So I, what have I got going on? Um, I've just released a um, new piece of 
Um, in, I suppose it is, it is theatre, but it's kind of on the fringes, but it's by a, um, a local theatre company to here in Essex um, called Local Girl Productions. And they've done a piece that I wrote the music for called The Sharon and Tracy Project, which is telling the stories of Sharon and Tracy's through the 1960s, 70s and 80s, and what it means to have that name and the kind of associated um, stigmas and, and world around that. So I've just done the music for that. Um, and then as of September, I'll be back in school, um, frighteningly so, with the virus still around. Um, and I'll be launching my online curriculum, which is on lyricland.co.uk. And uh, it's basically a primary school resource of all of my education songs um, that I've written for 10 years, put online um, for primary school kids to get involved and still be able to sing, even though we're not allowed to sing all together. So that's, that's what I've been up to in lockdown. Amazing. Fantastic. What a lovely project. Yeah. What about you, Andy? Well, I'm working on this new kind of show with a musical narrative kind of weaved into it. Um, and I have another more traditional straight play that I'm hoping, <laughs> hoping, but will have a, an excerpt at, uh, at one of the, uh, the development nights that Queens are doing. Um, but I don't know when that's going to be now. It's already been pushed back because it was meant to be just before the lockdown. So um, yeah. there'll be there'll be a piece of that being kind of uh, shown off. And um, yeah, I'm going to keep working on on bits. It's uh, a, yeah. a strange time, but got to keep going. Keep doing. Yeah, just got to ride it. What about you, yeah. Joe? How has the uh, lockdown affected you and, you and and your work? A lot of it's dried up, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I was fortunate to have a. A nice project I was working on at the beginning of the lockdown, uh, which is a film score a friend of mine's written the music for, uh, for an upcoming UK comedy film. And yeah, we, ha we had to unfortunately hit pause on that. We couldn't quite get to the stage of recording the score. So uh, hopefully that's going to pick up again in uh, sort of late August, September. So looking forward to that. A massive thank you again to Andrew Linham and Andrew Shaw for joining us and to Joe Hood for joining us as well. Thank you as well to the MA Musical Theatre students of Royal Welsh College and Music and Drama, Jemima Scott and Sam Keeler who performed Bank of Mum and Dad. And of course, theatre designer Corey Ship again for her incredible work. If you enjoyed today's podcast, feel free to spread the word on social media using the hashtag LeewayTempod. And you can also tag us at LeewayProds on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in to Leeway Productions podcast, 10 Minute Musicals. Join us next time for more interviews around artistic collaboration. And you may even get to hear the musical stylings of Leeway's artistic director, Ang Harrod Lee. I'm Luke Hereford. And I'm Ang Harrod Lee. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll have to keep that in for sure. Oh, I clapped over.